Okay, on Sunday night, we, uh, I won't say we introduced, but we started our study on the subject of fear for the Bible study exercise, which we're doing for the next seven weeks. We didn't get very far. We got to the Bible dictionary and we made it how many paragraphs? Two, and that was it. Okay, that's as far as we got. We have two paragraphs to go, but obviously in the meantime between Sunday and Wednesday, I've done some different podcasts, so I'm going to try to put everything together in this broadcast so we can finish these two paragraphs, plus um, get everyone caught up if anyone here missed anything or if anyone online has missed anything. All right, so are you ready? Okay, we are using the thematic method of Bible study for the next seven weeks. And many people online have submitted all of their questions. If you don't know how the thematic method works, you have to come up with six questions. Well, we're doing six this time. Sometimes it's five. But uh, you have to come up with six questions in regards to a theme or a topic, in this particular case, fear. You've got to ask those questions, and then you're to look in the Bible to find the answer to those questions, right? That's what you're supposed to do. So everyone has submitted them, and I've been been looking at all of them, but in a roundabout way, we've been kind of coming up with our own questions and answering them. And the two questions that we have come up with, we answered one of these last Sunday, and I answered the other one this week uh, in the podcast, is this. Number one, What are the prerequisites to fearing God? If you're going to fear God, there are some prerequisites that have to be there or you will not fear God. And we understand how important it is to fear God because that's the beginning of wisdom and the beginning of knowledge. So we obviously, but you just, I think there's a prerequisite that you have to have, prerequisites, plural, that you must possess to fear God properly. So I'll remind you of those. We talked about them already this week. Number two, in what areas of life are we to show the right kind of fear? In what areas of life are we to show the right kind of fear? And we answered that question Sunday night. And we looked at how many different areas? For those who are here Sunday night? Well, okay, four? Someone said four? All right, what were they? Okay. Okay. All right. There we go. Okay. And we'll repeat those in just a minute for those who didn't hear that online. Yes. We, those are the four areas that we talked about on Sunday night. So let's go to Psalm 33 because that's where the key verse is for the Bible study exercise for this week. The curriculum um, each week will have a different passage of scripture all dealing with fear. But for this week, it, the focus was Psalm chapter 33. Psalm chapter 33, really verses 6 through 11. Now, typically, when I look at a passage like this, I would begin, okay, you want me to begin in verse 6, and I would focus on verse 6, but I have a tendency to kind of look for, okay, kind of where's the hermeneutical key, what's the hinge that the whole passage kind of hangs on, and I believe um, Psalm chapter 33, verse 8, is the key here, all right? And it's the key verse, Psalm 33, verse 8, let all the earth... Fear the Lord, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. All right, that sounds great. Hey, the whole world should fear God. Now, on one hand, when I, when I, because I've been reading this, this section over and 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 over since I announced that this would be the first passage of scripture for the Bible study exercise, my first thought, and I think a lot of people have this thinking, well, wouldn't it be if, what would it look like if the whole world feared God and if all the world stood in awe of him? What would it look like? And we can think of all the pos- supposedly possible benefits that would come from it. But when we do that, we need to then make sure we take it to its logical conclusion. Because if we look at the world and say, well, they would do this and they would do this and they would do this and they would do this. Then what does that mean for our lives if we truly feared God? And I think we would kind of go, oh, wait a minute. Oh, me. Like it's, what, it's easy to look and say, I wish the world feared God because they would all be better people. Well, then if, then if we feared God... We should be better people. So, but I, so I just kind of thought a lot about that. But then I started thinking, okay, well, what would be required for people to fear God? And the text gives us the answer. Look at verse 6. Psalm 33, verse 6. This is all review. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move through this quickly. Verse 6. What does it deal with in verse 6? Are everybody ready? Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made 
and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. What subject is it dealing with in verse 6? Creation. Verse 7. He gathered the waters of the sea together as an heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. What is verse 7 dealing with? Creation. Look at verse 9. For he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. What is verse 9 dealing with? Creation. Now, isn't it interesting? Six and seven deal with creation. Nine deals with creation. And right there in the middle of that, verse eight says, the whole world should fear God and everyone should stand in awe of him. So immediately, just a normal reading of the passage tells you what two things are connected. Fearing God and seeing him as as creator. So, the first prerequisite to fear God is us to acknowledge, accept, and believe that God is creator. There can be no fear of God until there is an acceptance, there's an acknowledgement, there's a belief that he is the creator. Because the minute I acknowledge him as creator, that, that literally transforms everything that I think, right? It tells me that I'm not in charge. He's in charge. Tells me that the world doesn't center around me, but it would center around the one who created it. And the purpose for it would not be found in what I want, but found in what he declares. Right and wrong would not be determined by me. It would be determined by him. The minute you acknowledge him as creator, it's absolutely like, That alters everything. It doesn't change, obviously, our sinful nature, but it changes the way we, our thinking has to be completely transformed by that concept, right? Okay, he created it, so the purpose of it is found in him. Meaning is found in him. Right and wrong is found in him. Everything is found in him. I'm not in charge. He's obviously in charge. That that literally changes everything. And the minute you see that he created everything, then you obviously see his power. You should see something of his wisdom, right? So then immediately that should make you realize, I'm not God. And that should lead to, remember we talked about the proper kind of fear? What did we talk about on Sunday night? The proper kind of fear? Reverence, awe, and, and respect. That, I mean, at the very least, you should have reverence, respect, and awe for someone who created everything, right? And how did he create everything? I think it's verse 9. What does verse 9 say? He spoke it into existence. He brought that which didn't exist into existence by merely speaking it. That is like, Wow. I mean, you, that, that should lead to respect. That should lead to awe. So if you don't have the fear, if, you, if to have a proper fear of God, you must acknowledge, accept, and believe him as creator. To reject him as creator, everything unravels. Everything falls apart. Everything falls apart. I mean, meaning in life, purpose in life. I mean, even the very, I mean, we would say, since he is creator, reality is determined by him, not determined by us. I mean, everything is determined by God. And you can see when people begin to reject him as creator, you see then they they create their own, they become their own God who creates their own rules, who creates their own reality, and then you must abide by God their rules, and their reality. And to reject that, you are anathematized. They reject a God so that they can be a God. And that's literally, I mean, that, if, that, if that doesn't describe 2022, I don't know what does. And when it talks about the, there's no fear of God in their eyes, it's because they've rejected him as creator. Once you reject the creator, then who becomes God. The created, (laughs) okay? Once you reject the creator, the created becomes God in our own mind, and then we try to establish our own reality. And and that's, that's literally what happens. And so the argument, really the argument with people is not an argument about morality. It's not an an argument about politics. The argument really is, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is there a God who created everything? And if they reject that, now if they say they believe that, then, then they've, they've, they, they, are, they have placed themselves with a major logical problem. Because the minute they say that, well, then they would have to figure out who that God is and then abide by 
his rules, okay? You can't say, I believe there's a God who created everything if you're running around determining life on your own, okay? That makes, that makes no sense. So that's the first prerequisite. Look at the very next verse, Psalm 33, verse 10. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. All right? What do we have in verse 10? Verse 9, we see the prerequisite of acknowledging, accepting, believing God as creator. What do we have to accept, acknowledge, and believe here? The sovereignty of God. And the sovereignty of God over whom? Everyone. You got the heathen? What else do you have there? Look at verse 10. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught, and he maketh the devices of the people of none effect. Everyone. He's in charge of what two things there? He overrides what? Look at the verse. What is the first thing he overrides? The counsel. And second, the devices. The counsel and devices, God overrides them. I apologize. All right. He overrides them which demonstrates his sovereignty. Now, a lot of people, and guess what? Even within the church, there's a lot of rejection of God being sovereign. We, we, they, we do, do most Christians want God to be sovereign over salvation? No, they don't. They want us to be sovereign. They, they constantly, on one hand, many Christians will give lip service to the sovereignty of God and then turn right back around and act like that we're sovereign and that we have to do this and we have to do that. God overrides everything. Their counsel, their devices. Now, the minute you realize he is sovereign, should that not lead to reverence, respect, and awe? Because it immediately t- tells you what? The sovereignty of God immediately tells you what? You're not in charge. You're not in charge. You're not in control. That's a humbling place. When we realize he is creator and we realize he is sovereign, uh, that, 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 that changes the way we think, just fundamentally. Fundamentally, it doesn't change our sinful nature, but it changes our thinking, okay? Next verse. Next verse. What happens in the next verse? The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. So we have the create, we have him as creator, we have him as sovereign. What do we have here? I'm going to refer to this as the supremacy of God. He is supreme. And his supremacy is seen in what two areas? His counsel and his thoughts. In other words, this is how supreme he is. Can anything change his thoughts or anything stop his thoughts or stop his counsel? What's, what, how does it read? What does it say about his thoughts? Standeth forever. What does it say about his counsel? Our thoughts are all generations. And then is the first part counsel? His counsel stands forever and his thoughts to all generations. All right, there you go. It's, he's supreme. Now, with the minute you... So guess what is a pre, three pre, prerequisites to fear God? What are they? You must acknowledge, accept, and believe in his, him, him as creator. You must accept, acknowledge, and believe him as sovereign. And you must acknowledge, accept, and believe that he is supreme. His counsel, his thoughts. That what's it? Not your counsel, not your thoughts. We have lots of counsel and thoughts, do we not? We have lots of ideas, do we not? Even within Christianity, we preach sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon, thoughts, 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 counsel, ideas, plans, and guess what? It's God's who will stand, not ours. Agreed? Okay, those are the prerequisites to fear. Now, the second question. And what areas of life are we to show the right kind of fear? Sarah's already answered it, but let's go back to the Bible dictionary because now we can re- remind ourselves. 
Everybody ready? Let's start with the first paragraph in the Bible Dictionary, page 445, if you want to open one, page 445, page 445, all right, I'm going to open this just to make sure, all right, everybody there? Okay, page 445, first paragraph. This will go this quickly. Fear is what? A feeling of reverence, awe, and respect. That's the good kind, that's the right kind. Or an unpleasant emotion caused by a sense of danger. Now, now we, we kind of say the good and the bad. The, the, obviously, the uh, reverence, awe, and respect, just remember, reverence, awe, and respect is a good kind of fear, but it can be given to the wrong thing, okay? And please note that unpleasant emotion caused by a sense of danger, it could be negative, but it could be actually beneficial and helpful. So, when, so in other words, whenever we talk about fear, not only do I have to figure out, quote-unquote, is it the right kind, but is it to the right subject, to the right object? Or is it, quote-unquote, the wrong kind of fear because of we, do, we act the wrong way as in reaction to it? Does that make sense? Right? So, yeah, there's a lot we could, we could, we'll have to work on and take that apart a little bit more, but okay. Fear may be directed towards God or humankind, and it may be healthy or harmful. That's the main thing to understand. Fear may be healthy or harmful. So think about this. The right kind of fear can be harmful. Why? It's directed to the wrong thing, right? So that's very important to understand, right? And what may perceive to be harmful fear may not be harmful if we can handle it in the right way. In other words, fear can be harmful if we respond to something in the wrong way. So it's very important that we, we understand that because sometimes just the mere mention of fear, like, well, we shouldn't fear. Well, it, no, Fear has its proper place. It just can be harmful, but then it has to be the right object, right? So I think that's very important to consider, right? Next paragraph. A healthy fear is reverence or respect. We talked about this. The Bible teaches that, okay, so here are the, remember the question? What are the areas of life we we are to show the right kind of fear? Here we go. Number one. The Bible teaches that children are to respect their parents, and that is a respect, a fear, the right, the right kind of reverence there, right? Now, again, just make sure we understand this. Can we, can we necessarily produce the right kind of reverence and fear and respect in the heart of a child? I don't think we can produce the right kind. I think we can pr- produce a type. We can produce a sense, hopefully, right? But it's always really, well, I'm, it's just, it's really fragile, is it not? Like you can think, I'm going to make my children respect me and have reverence and have some, a right kind of fear, and that can easily slide over to the wrong kind of fear without even trying, correct? Or it could lead to full-blown just bitterness and rebellion. It's very difficult for it to occur the right way because we're limited in what we can do. Now, if we go back to the prerequisite, if they're truly going to have the right kind of fear for the parent, it would require them to have what three things? We just spent 20 minutes doing it. Yeah, we, we spent, uh, how, mo- how much? We, yeah, we spent 20 minutes looking at it. Okay. The th- what are the three prerequisites? We have to accept, acknowledge, and believe in God's as creator, his sovereignty, and his supremacy. If the child doesn't fear God, right? If the child fears God, then what should naturally flow flow from it? Who's in charge? God. Therefore, if God is in charge, if God tells me to honor and respect my parent, then it should flow from their right understanding of God will lead to the right understanding of that authority. So if they don't have the right concept to God, then it's just going to naturally stem against you. 
Now again, you may have some children who just naturally kind of go along and they, they have that reverence and respect, just kind of a natural thing, right? But again, you have to be very careful. I think a lot of times, the, a lot of preaching has been like, you've got to teach your kids to respect you. You've got to teach your kids to fear you the right way. And I just don't know if we can produce it in any meaningful way. It's not produced... I believe fear is produced, the right kind of fear is produced by those three prerequisites. What are they? Accept, acknowledge, and believe. God is creator. Accept, acknowledge, believe. God is sovereign. Accept, acknowledge, and believe. God is supreme. Right? The supremacy of God. That's where it flows from. That breaks. Everything breaks. Everything falls apart. Everything falls apart. That's why everything flows from the the fear of God. We can't, how can I say this? We can't, we can try to manufacture the right kind of fear through parental techniques or whatever we want to try, but fear has to flow from where? The right kind of fear has to originate from where? From within. And it can't originate correctly from within without a correct understanding of these things. Does that make sense? Uh, at least I, I think it does, okay? Are, are, are we on the same page? All right. Second, so that's the first area. So remember the question we're working on. And what areas of life are we to show the right kind of fear? The first one is between child and parent. Second, wives are to respect their husbands. Ephesians 5.33. This is to fear, to reverence, to respect. Uh, look at Ephesians 5.33. Everybody can just look at it to make sure you, we see the exact words there. Ephesians 5.33. I know this is review. Ephesians 5.33. So I'm trying to put everything we've done this week all together in one message here, okay? All right, Ephesians 5.33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in, in, in particular so love his wife, even himself, and the wife see that she reverences her husband. This is a godly kind of fear. Right now, again, can a husband produce that in the wife? Okay, we, we've got to make sure we're all on the same page tonight. We cannot produce this in anyone. Okay, I want to make sure we're. If you don't believe that, then that's okay. You can just say you disagree. But if you believe that, I need you to make sure we're on the same page. We cannot produce it. And the reason we can't produce it is what is the prerequisite? His, his creator, his sovereignty, and his supremacy. Can I make anyone have those three things? I can't. Right? I can't say, you will accept God as creator. I can teach a child when they're little that he's creator, right? I can teach them that. But there's going to come some point where they truly acknowledge, accept, and believe it, and understand the reality of it. They've got to really understand what that means. You can teach a kid anything, right? You can teach the kid that there's, the stove is hot and, and ice is cold. I mean, you can teach them all kinds of things. But, but it doesn't, it's just facts. At some point, it's got to become a fact to, I, I believe this. And the minute they acknowledge that, his sovereignty, his supremacy, then, then they're, they're, they will view life from what perspective? See, once you see God as creator, sovereign, and supreme, you see life from a God-focused perspective instead of a man-focused perspective. So then you see all of your relationships not from a man perspective or a human perspective, but from a God perspective. So I cannot make, a, no, you can't, I can't, no man can make a woman reverence or respect or fear her husband in a correct way. In fact, typically what can happen And remember, it goes all the way back to Genesis, all the way back as a result of the fall. Eve's desire will be for her husband, and we don't think that's a a desire for physical relation. We think that's a desire to do what? To rule over, because that same Hebrew word is used about sin being at the door of Cain, and his desire is for you, right? It's a desire to rule over. So the very natural inclination is the wife wants to rule over, and then the husband will respond in a brutish, violent, argumentative, I'm going, to, I'm going to be dominant here and push you down, and then there's conflict. Well, it, it, that, that, does that ever create anything? 
other than just difficulty, frustration, and bitterness. So both individuals, if the husband is going to have any correct way of seeing the wife, and if the wife's going to have any correct way of seeing the husband, both have to start where? Fearing God, and what's the prerequisites? Accept, acknowledge, and believe God is creator. Accept, acknowledge that he is sovereign, and accept and acknowledge his supremacy. All right? Because then you realize you're not in charge of anything. And you've got to see it from that perspective. All right? So we have, what's the, th- what's the areas where we should uh, show and uh, see the right kind of fear, or practice the right kind of fear? Children to parents, wives to husbands, and then the last one is, or not the last one, the one that's really troubling is slaves to masters. And man, we, we could spend forever trying to work through that. There's nothing pleasant about that. It's horrible. I don't like it. But the, the biblical way of approaching things typically in many cases is it, it's not so much about making a judgment about where you find yourself in life, but it tells you what to do when you find yourself in that way, in that place of life. I don't like it. I wish it wasn't there. I Look, I... I can, man, I, I understand every, every skeptic and agnostic and atheist who says that's the most messed up thing they've ever read in their life. I understand it. I just know that's not going to happen unless the slave has the correct, what? Understanding of God. And that's easy for me to say. I can't imagine being in that situation. I can only relate to it trying to have the right relationship with a parent who, who doesn't do things the correct way. Or a wife. Who, with, with the wrong kind of husband. Now, that doesn't mean the wife should take abuse or she should protect herself and get out. But that means that even in trying to handle that situation, she's still supposed to show reverence and respect as much as possible. Does that make sense? Because she has to see it in which perspective? From a God perspective. And then the last area of life that we have to have the right kind of fear of God? With God, directly with God. We are, we, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge as well as the beginning of wisdom. And we will not fear God without that prerequisite. See, you see how it works? Children are not going to fear the, the, the parents the correct way without those prerequisites. Seeing God as creator, sovereign, and supreme. Wives are not going to have fear, respect, and reverence to their husbands unless they meet those three prerequisites. Slaves are not going to fear their masters unless they meet those prerequisites. And we will not fear God unless we see and accept and acknowledge and believe those prerequisites. Everything hinges on the prerequisites. Does that make sense? Everything. Everything hinges on that. We've, we've heard a million sermons saying, fear God, fear God, fear God, fear God, but rarely are we ever given the prerequisite to even try to know how, what that means or what it looks like. Psalm 33, I think in a roundabout way, gives us the prerequisite. It's just amazing how it's written, right? Everyone, the whole world should fear God. And it, that verse is completely out of place from verse 6, 7, doesn't seem to fit that. 9, 10, and 11 doesn't seem to fit that, unless those things show What's required in order to fear? Everybody, does that make sense? All right. 30 minutes of review. All right, all right. Here we go. Two paragraphs. Oh boy. I don't know if we can make it through these, but here we go. A harmful fear is a sense of terror or dread. Believers are instructed not to fear human beings. Let's look at two passages of Scripture. The first one they want us to look at is Matthew 10, 28. Matthew 10, 28. Matthew 10, 28. Right, everyone there? Matthew 10, 28. I'll wait till everyone get there, gets there. Because this, I, we read this and everybody says amen to it. I don't know if anyone actually believes this in any way, shape, or form. But okay. Matthew 10, 28. And fear not them which kill the body, 
but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both the soul and body in hell. This indicates what we are not to fear. And we're not to fear fellow humans. We are not to fear. We can write this down as a question if you would like. What are we not to fear? We are not to fear fellow humans. We're not to fear other people. Now that sounds good. Everyone will say amen to that. But man alive, I wonder if we ever even come close to that. I wonder, I wonder if people, because I have watched people give into peer pressure my entire life, and it clearly there, there's some there's, there's some need or desire or feel to fit in, to go along. They don't want to stand out. They're, they're somehow intimidated by people. I mean, guess what one of the number one fears that all people have? In, in many cases, public speaking. Many, most people fear public speaking worse than death. That's insane to me. How is that possible? What are they going to do to you? Right, but I've literally watched it in the, in the military when well, all the different schools I had to go to, we always had to do public speaking, public speaking. And I literally watched some of the people stand there and, and, and their hands are just shaking. I'm like, what is going on with you? You're in the military for crying out loud. And you're like, I have to speak in front of people. Like, and what is, I have no, like, I don't understand. What, what is wrong with you? But some people have that. Yeah, I mean, that's a common fear. That's not an uncommon fear. Go to any university and they do a speech class. People have like nervous breakdowns. And it's like, all you got to do is like, what's the subject? Okay, da, 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 da. And I, I remember I had to always be, I was always tasked to try to help people. I'm like, what is, I, like, I'm first, I'm just trying to look at them like, could you explain what you're scared of? Do they own a gun? Do they have a knife? Are they a serial killer? Like, what is scaring you so much? I don't understand. Okay, but it it would it would scare people to death, right? So that's a, that's a kind of fear, is it not? I can remember all the years I spent going to the club. If I got, to, I would always get to the club six thirty, seven o'clock. A lot of times they had me go buy the music, and then as soon as as soon as we started playing music, I didn't care if anybody was on the dance floor. I was there by my on, on the floor by myself. People watched me. I didn't care. But so many other people would come out, and, and then all you know, like if if too many people were watching them, they ran. I'm like, what are you scared of? Are they going to hurt you? I don't get. I don't understand. Or like the first day of high school, walking in and all the. The upperclassmen were there in the lobby of Jim Ned and like, get down and push a penny or all this. And I'm like, I'm not doing one thing any of you tell me. I'm not following any of these. I'm not doing any of it. Nobody, nobody. Why would you be scared? But there is a, see, that has nothing to do with me being spiritual. That's just my own fleshly disposition, right? Oh, 15 people are telling me to do this. I'm doing the opposite. Just on purpose, like, just on purpose. I don't even care. I may even want to do it, but I'm just going to say no on the principle of it, okay? So, but that's a fear, is it not? So we have to ask ourselves a question here. Why do we fear humans? I mean, this is a a deep question. Now, in this particular context, it's fear... It's being fear, it's fear of being killed, right? So this is like, don't have any fear of anyone killing you. Well, I think most people are scared to death of that, right? They lock their doors, they have protection. I mean, they're just scared to death of being killed, right? So, so, that, so why, why do you think, I, can, I think I can understand the fear of being killed, right? That makes a little bit more sense. Okay, it could be painful, right? Okay, and I and I got things I want to do. Okay, there's new there's new music coming out. I got to listen to. There's new books. I mean, I got things on my agenda. So you're gonna have to come back and kill me later, right? Okay, but so I can understand that. But what do you think? And I think this is a very important question, right? You you may think it's not that big a deal. Just move on. No, I think this is an important question. Why do we fear people? 
Why do you think? Just throw out your ideas. Just come on. Let's speculate. Just speculate. Just throw out your, your, your crazy theory. Okay, fear of retribution. Okay. Maybe. So you, you're making a theological argument that fear is the result of sin, the fall. Okay, that's interesting. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. Right, right, right. Yeah, I understand. Okay. So... Okay. I, I, I think, okay, so let's put it, sometimes the fear, I think sometimes, right, we may have, in other words, it may, be a, it may be a wrong kind of fear because we give in or we act the wrong way, but it can still be a rational fear, right? So make sure we understand this. There can be a rational reason to have that fear, but we can respond to it in an incorrect manner. Remember, it's, we got to always balance this out, right? Like, if, so, if I know I'm going to go to school and someone's going to beat me down, that's a rational fear, Right? Now, how I handle it from a theological perspective, I can handle it in an, uncor- an incorrect way because the Bible seems to say, don't fear. Right? But it is a rational fear. So in that case, that's rational. Someone's trying to hurt me, it's rational. I think what's irrational is to do what they tell me or to, or to go along with them because I'm not doing that. I don't care how much they hurt me. I'm not, I'm not going along with it. No way, no how, I don't care. That's just not going to happen. There's no intimidation, no. In fact, the more someone tries to intimidate me, the more likely I will just allow myself to get hurt because I am not giving in. I, like, that's the last thing. I would rather die than give in. But I can understand. That's a rational fear. Okay, so that's, we'll put that in the category of, of pain or suffering. Yes? So do we fear the person or do we fear the pain and suffering? That's a reasonable question, right? Okay. But there's a million other situations where we're intimidated or wherever, and there is no threat of pain or suffering. So at that point, what's, what's the source of that fear? Ah, it's, it, it's a preoccupation with self. It's a focus on self. I'm worried about what other people think of me. I'm worried about how other people perceive me. Now that does come from sin. Because sin is always about what? Exalting self, right? Exalting self. So I just think it's interesting that we fear people. They're like some fear of people you could say is rational, but the Bible would seem to say we're not supposed to do that. But, and, but some fear of people is completely irrational. And it's irrational because it really isn't a fear of them. It's a preoccupation with our own self. Our own, we, we perceive our value or worth or what, by base what other people think. Does that make sense? So that, that creates a lot of problems. Once again, the biblical solution would be that I'm focused on God as creator, not on people, right? They didn't create me. God created me. They're not in charge. God is in charge. He is sovereign. They're not sovereign. He is supreme. They're, they're, they're not supreme. Their, their opinion of me is not supreme. God's opinion of me is supreme. Right? Does that make sense? So I think we still kind of go back to those prerequisites. But I, I just think it's interesting that this idea of don't fear others, I think we have a hard time with it. Let's, let's put it all together now. A harmful fear is a sense of terror or dread. Believers are instructed not to fear human beings, Matthew 10, 28. They also have Philippians 1, 28. Look at that, Philippians 1, 28. Philippians 1, 28. What does it say? Philippians 1, 28. Remember, we always look up the references because sometimes the, the Bible dictionary offers one and when we're done, we're like, why did they use that one? Okay. Everybody see it? Philippians 1.28, and in nothing terrified by your adversary, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. How does that read in the NIV? Philippians 1.28.
All right, so don't be afraid in any way, shape, or form of those who oppose you. So we're just not to have any fear of people. The, the Bible just seems to say we are not to fear people. And look, if we, go, if we don't fear them killing us, then clearly we shouldn't fear them in other smaller ways, correct? But I wonder, would you, would you fear in the face of someone wanting to kill you? And if you do, that like, I, I don't know how we, I don't know how we caught, I, I, I guess theological, I can only give a theological answer. If I truly believe God is creator and he is sovereign and he is supreme, then I, I guess I really don't have anything to worry about, right? That, that sounds good theologically, right? It's not so good practically, right? But <laughs> I know, it's not so good. Like, hey, go ahead, fire the gun. No, you can't hurt me. Like, like it's, it's easy, it's easy to say, right? But we all know, look, Christians, here's the thing. We, everyone has the biblical understanding. I'm to fear no man. I only fear God. No one can harm me. God is my protector. Everyone says that. In many cases, well, they adjust their holster and make sure their firearm is loaded, okay? And it's like, well, wait a minute. I thought we don't fear anybody, right? Hey, we don't fear anybody, but just so that you know, if you show up at our church with a gun, we've got armed guards. Okay, well, that seems to indicate a concern, right? How do we balance that out? There's no easy way to figure that out. I know what we're supposed to say theologically, but I think we have, I think the main issue what do you, I, and I think this is important. The, the biblical admonition for us not to fear people, what do you think is at least the, because some of these situations we, we don't have a good answer for, right? Like, don't fear people. Okay, well then, how does that work, right? That may be complicated. So let's try to make it more practical. At the very least, at the very least, what should the fear of people not lead to in the life of a believer? At the very least. I'm not here to get into a discussion about whether guns, no guns. I'm not, no, I'm not here to get it. Locked door, don't lock door. What should the fear of people not lead a Christian to? Not produce within a Christian. Because we, obviously we all have, all have some kind of fear of people, right? Let's just, there's no way to deny it, right? We can say, well, the Bible says don't have it. We have it. I can give you thousands of examples, right? Okay, it should definitely not lead us to deny God. Okay, that's a good one, okay? Now, we know didn't work out so much for Peter, okay? But you're right, it shouldn't lead us to deny God. What are some other things? Go keep going in that direction, we should not allow the fear of people to lead us to go with their sin or their plan or their scheme or to walk in the, their counsel, but we should be able to stand against them. Right? We shouldn't deny God, but we shouldn't be like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta go along to get along. Right? Well, you know I don't agree with that concept, but many people will. No, I don't have to go along to get along because I'm not worried about what people think. So there, that's, I think that's at least, we, we can all agree at least on that basic, pr- basic premise. Some of this to figure out, I don't have the solution for you. Hey, you shouldn't fear people killing you. Right? That, everybody says, amen, but what does that mean in practice, right? Nobody can tell me what it means in practice. But we can at the very least say the fear of men should not lead us to deny God or to go along with sin or to fall into sin because we're worried about what people think. Now it says, it gives us a reason why we should not fear men. Why? It says right here in the dictionary. Because they cannot ultimately harm us. They cannot ultimately harm us. What does it mean to ultimately harm us? They cannot keep us from heaven. They cannot put us in hell. Now, that, I, <laughs> on one hand, that sounds comforting, right? Hey, you can't ultimately destroy, pop, pop, pop. Okay, well, but you can, you can well, physically harm me and temporarily kill me. Okay, so that sounds so brave, right? You can't ultimately harm me. Well, they knock me unconscious. 
right? Or they stabbed me with a knife. Okay, it sounds good, but at least, I, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, it, it has given at least some people in church history some sense of courage. Hey, you can kill the body, but you can't, you can't take my soul, right? That sounds good. I just, I just know that we just got to make sure we read that. It doesn't mean that God is going to protect you, right? Like he can say, don't fear anyone who will kill you. But that is not a promise that they won't. Right? Everybody understand that? Telling you, don't fear any man does not mean God is going to protect you from every man or every woman or every anything. Right? Because I think sometimes we've misconstrued that in, in church history. Don't fear God because no one can harm you. No, Clearly, people can harm me. Now, you could say, well, they can only harm me when it's God's will. Well, that still sounds good, but I don't know when it's ever God. Like, that doesn't really mean anything to me because it could be God's will that I'm about to get hurt. But what I can hold on to is, God, they cannot ultimately harm me. Sound good? Wicked men, however, are constantly fearing other people, especially the righteous. This is interesting. Let's look at some scriptures. Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28, we're going to run out of time. We're not, we're not even going to finish the third. <laughs> we, I'm trying, I'm trying here. But each one of these sentences gives us enough to consider. Matthew, or Proverbs 28, 1, what does it say? Let's see if we can speed up and make it through this. Oh, look at that. Proverbs 28, 1, the wicked do what? And no man is chasing them, but the righteous are bold as a lion. The wicked flee when no one is after them. Now, I think the con- what do you think the concept is? What do you think this verse is trying to say? Why would the wicked run when nobody's chasing them? Well, if, yeah, if, you've done, if you're doing something wrong, you typically are afraid someone's going to find out, right? So that, that's where the fear comes from. And the righteous, meaning there's no, you don't have any major issue going on, then you have a tendency to be more bold. I think that just makes sense, right? So in a sense, what can produce fear? Well, hidden sin, right? I think, I think, that, I think, that, I think that makes sense. All right, go to the next one, Matthew 14, 5. Matthew 14, 5, what do we read here? All right, Matthew 14, 5, and we have here Herod, right? And Herod would put uh, John the Baptist to death. But he feared the multitude because they considered him to be a prophet. Now, they're saying Herod obviously is wicked and he fears the people. I don't know if this has anything to do with his wickedness. What is he afraid of here? What is he afraid about the people? A revolt. A revolt? Right? Maybe they would try to harm him or maybe they would cause so much trouble that it would lead him political issues and political problems. So this is just fear that arises from being more concerned about your position, more concerned about your power, more concerned about something harming your, your, your place in life, your, your, your career, whatever the case may be. Right? And once again, th- that can be a rational fear, right? Nobody wants to lose their job. Nobody wants to lose their position. But from a biblical perspective, when does that rational fear become unbiblical? It's when then you would compromise your Christianity in order to keep your position or power or, or place or, or fame or whatever the case may be. Does that make sense? All right. What's the next verse? Romans 13. Romans 13. Romans 13, 3 through 4. All right, Romans 13, 3. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. 
Will thou then not be afraid of will thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. Uh, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. This is basically as a Christian, we should not typically fear the authority that is placed over us. Right? We should not be afraid of them. Right? We should have the right reverence and respect to them, but we should not have the wrong. So this is, this is interesting. We almost could add another, another area in life where we have to exercise the right kind of fear, right? We have children to parents, wife to husband, right? Slave to master, people to God, and now people to governmental leaders. We, don't have the, we should not have the wrong kind of fear, Right? Why should we not have the wrong kind of fear? We shouldn't fear the government because we should be the right kind of citizens, so for the most part, they're going to leave us alone, for the most part. Now, it doesn't mean that the time may come that they won't be, but then even then we should not have the wrong kind of fear, right? Because we should fear God. But we should have the right kind of reverence and respect to government, which has become a, a major issue within a ma- major parts of Christianity today, where I guess the only government you, you go with is the government that you like, and the government you don't like, then you... I, I, no, it's not the way it works. If, I'm, if a slave is to have reverence to his master, then you, Christian, who maybe who don't like the government, get over yourself and show the right reverence and respect to the authority. Because guess what? Who, who put the authority there? God. That's why it has, what's the prerequisite to the right kind of fear? You got to see God as creator, sovereign, and supreme. So when I see government that I don't like, what do I need to remember? God put them there. God put them there. And for some weird reason, Christians have abandoned that, that doctrine. God put them there. So what do you, no, no, they got there by stealing it. They couldn't steal it unless God let them, okay? So stop with your nonsense, okay? Just stop, all right? God put them there. Now, there can come a time where the government can overstep and then we find ourselves in conflict, but then we don't fear them. We fear God. It still goes back into the same thing, all right? It says such fear, this harmful fear, causes them, causes the wicked to act deceitfully in an attempt to hide their sins. And 2 Samuel 11, look at, just skim 2 Samuel 11. Who's trying to hide their sin in 2 Samuel 11? I think that's probably a good guess. 2 Samuel 11. Who's the chapter about? Oh, it's about David. Okay? And what does David try to hide? He tries to hide his adultery. Why is he trying to hide it? Well, because he's afraid. (laughs) He's afraid. He's afraid, right? He's afraid. And what does he do to cover it up? He is so afraid of being exposed that he turns to Murder. And he is a hero of the faith. Well, he tried to come up with other solutions. But I'm just saying, he, that's what it's, I just, once again, I just, I just sometimes I think Christians forget that even, I mean, that's David. That's David. That's the, the, the great David, who I believe the Bible says feared God. So I think that's interesting, okay? Okay, not no, by no means. All right, Matthew 28, 4 through 15. What's going on in Matthew 28, 4 through 15? What's going on in Matthew 28, 4 through 15? Matthew 28, 4 through 15. There's a great earthquake. The angel rose back, the angel descends and he comes and he rolls back the stone from the door. Right? That's Matthew 28, verse 2. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and become as 
dead men. And the angel, angels answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. I think what they're trying to argue is that these men became as dead men, the keep, keepers. I think they're maybe trying to say that in a sense, they, they, I think they're implying that they tried to pretend that they were dead because they were so scared. And they're like, just fell down and acted like they were dead. So in a sense to not be caught. But the point is, it just shows another example of fear. We won't try to e- extrapolate from that. But we get the idea. So let's just. Okay. Well, yeah. Or that would be a fake one. <laughs> this would be. A, that, they're implying it would be fake that they were pretending to be dead. Okay. They were pretending. That's that's what they're implying. I'm not saying that's a correct way to interpret it. I'm just letting you know, know that's the correct the way they're going with it. All right. So a harmful fear is a sense of terror or dread. All right. And we are not to have the wrong kind of fear of whom people. We should not fear people trying to kill us. We should not fear what people think about us because our focus and fear should be of God supremely, right? And the wrong kind of fear can arise from our own sin, trying to cover it up, or we're worried about being exposed. Does that make sense? But we learned a new area, I think, of where we are to have fear, and that is with We have the right kind of fear with the government and not the wrong kind of fear. Right? So we kind of added to one of our questions. Okay? Now, last paragraph. Everybody ready? Okay. I'm just going to read it, and then anybody can work on any of the scripture references. Here we go. On the other hand, the unbeliever has every reason to be panic-stricken at thoughts of God, for he stands condemned before him. That makes perfect sense, right? An unbeliever should, should fear God. But for them to truly fear God, they have to believe that he is. They have to believe he's creator. They have to believe. And that, I don't think they will ever truly have that kind of fear. At least they won't express it. They won't express it. Does that make sense? If it's inside, they're not going to express it that way unless God brings about salvation. And yet this kind of fear of God does not often lead to repentance. The wrong kind of fear in an unbeliever towards God typically does not lead to repentance. That's very important to realize. It normally leads to a feeble attempt to hide from God. Genesis 3.8, what did Adam and Eve do? They hid from God. They hid from God. Uh, Revelation 6, 15 through 17. Just look at it really quick. Revelation 6, 15 through 17. Revelation 6, 15 through 17. What did the people do? Revelation 6, 15. They, hid, they hide from God. Yeah. They don't, they, they, they're afraid, but they hide themselves from God. Does that make sense? Right? Uh, or worse, it, it will, they will lead to a denial of God's existence. And his claim on a person's life. Psalm 14, 1, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Romans 1, 18, Romans 1, 18 through 28. And then we see mankind's downward spiral because they reject God as creator. They reject the creator. All right? So the wrong kind of fear and an unbeliever, right, towards God literally can lead. Or you could even say the right kind of fear because in some way it's a right kind of fear. God They are condemned, but it can be responded to in the wrong kind of way. All right, so let's remind ourselves of the two major questions that we've considered tonight. Number one, what was the first major question? What are the prerequisites to fearing God? And what are those prerequisites? Number one, we have to acknowledge, we have to accept, we have to believe that God is creator. Number two, we have to acknowledge, accept, and believe that God is sovereign. We have to acknowledge, accept, and believe, number three, the supremacy of God, that God is supreme over everything, all right? His counsel, his, his thoughts, those are the things that last, right? And everyone understand how everything that goes wrong is because those prerequisites aren't met. Does everybody understand that? And then in what areas of life should we fear God? Number one, child to parent. Number two, wife to husband. Number three, Slave to master, number four, us to government. Now we can add that one. We can add that one. And number five, us to God. 
Okay, and, and, number, and number three, and what areas are we not to fear, God, uh, to fear right? We're not to feel fear fellow humans. We could add a fourth question there because we kind of answered it, but we won't. We're not to fear humans. We're not to fear humans. We could add we're not to fear condemnation because there's therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus, but okay. We, in other words, we could work on, expand all of this. I just wanted to at least get us here um, because we, since we started this at the church, I wanted to finish it here at the church and then the rest we'll cover and, uh, on, on the podcast until maybe every once in a while we'll break back in in the next seven weeks to co- talk more about this. All right, but does that, does that kind of give us a good understanding of fear? All right, and I think to me, for this week, for the first week of study, it's those prerequisites that I think is the most important thing that we have discovered this week in the study. Those prerequisites are so important. So important. And I wish I could understand why we fear people. I don't, I don't think I'll ever grasp it. But just remember, how that play, I don't know how that's supposed to play out in a real way. I, I want to make it very clear. I don't know how it's supposed to play out. I know that Christians love to say, we fear no man, God is our protector, he's our shield, he's our defender, nothing can touch us. We sing those songs and we talk a big game. But in practice, man, we're just like the lost person. We're going to protect ourselves, defend ourselves, and we actually think that we're the ones protecting ourselves, right? We act just like they do. There's no difference. So I don't know how that's supposed to look. I don't know how we're supposed to look different, right? I don't know. We lock our doors the same way, protect ourselves. Well, well, I shouldn't go here. Oh, that's, we, we got to avoid that area. Okay, be careful here. Be on the lookout. Hey, kids, watch out. Don't, be careful. For, and we, we, we're just as worried and anxiety and have fear just like lost people, no matter what we claim, all right? We, that's the way we operate, even though what we claim different. I don't know why there's such an inconsistency, and I don't know what it's supposed to look like. No one has figured it out in 2,000 years. But I can dogmatically say this. The fear of people should not lead you to deny God and cannot lead you to compromise and to go along with the sin simply because you're intimidated by what people think or what people say. The last thing you can be worried about is what people think or say. Now, I know there's a danger there because you do want to listen to good counsel and listen to people, but there's a, there's, a, there's a fine line where you just have to at some point just say, you know what, who cares? Who cares what people think? People are going to think whatever they're going to think, and rarely can you do anything about it, right? I mean, I, 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 I know a lot of people want people to think about, you want people to think good things about you, but you can't worry about that. You can't worry, you can't worry about what people think. You just cannot. Because when you do that, you, you are treating them as God, and they're not God. They're not. And so you can't worry. You can't really worry about it. You can't worry about it. And I, I, I like I said, I, that's sometimes in the Christian life, just remember, sometimes we have a strength in an area, and it's not because we're spiritual. It's just because our own fleshly, my, my own fleshly nature, never been intimidated by anybody, don't care about anybody. I'm not going to worry about anybody. No one's going to tell me what to do. I'm not going to back down. I don't care. I don't care what you do. I don't care how much you hurt me. I am not backing down. I'll be right back here tomorrow. You can beat me up today. I'm coming back on Tuesday. And I may not be able to beat you face to face, but then I was doing things like, you know, putting things, tearing up people's trucks, cutting tires, putting things in the gas. I was going to, I was getting them back every other way that I could. If I couldn't handle a face-to-face confrontation then I was going around the back I don't know how many cars I destroyed in the parking lot of Jim Ned because I put everything I could in there gas tank pulled spark spark plug wires cut tires I did everything right because I'm like oh you beat me up I'll I'll destroy I'll destroy your vehicle every week I'll make sure that it never works right because the good thing about then there was no cameras right but I was not going to be intimidated I was not going to be intimidated. But you know what? That had nothing to do with my, me being spiritual. So for me, it's easy to go, what's the problem, Christians? Why are we afraid of people? But that has nothing to do with me being, see, sometimes it stinks when, you're, when your strength is fleshly, okay? Because you, can, you can't do anything about it. But when it's a fleshly strength, what does it almost always become? When it's a fleshly strength, it almost always becomes a spiritual weakness. That's a bad thing. Fleshly strength almost always becomes a spiritual weakness. 
Does that make sense? Sometimes your fleshly weakness can actually become a spiritual strength. So, but that, that fear of people, that's just something that everyone has to struggle with because I don't know exactly what it's supposed to look, at, look like, but I can give you the definitive. Don't deny God and don't what? Don't go along. You don't, don't cave in. Don't surrender. Don't, don't, don't be intimidated. I know that's easy to say for some people, but it's, it's the bare minimum. It's the bare minimum. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening. We thank you for your word. Forgive us for the ways which we have violated it and fallen short of it. We thank you that your son came to die to save us from our failure and our sin. And Lord, we will always fear probably the wrong thing and the wrong way. But we just are so grateful and thankful that in Christ Jesus, there is no fear. There is no concern. There is no condemnation. But in this life, we struggle. We fall short. We deny. We compromise because of fear and basically almost a worship of self. Forgive us for that. And uh, we thank you for your son who brings that forgiveness to us. And we ask it in his name. And God's people said.